Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, everybody? This is episode five of the Off Day Debrief. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera from Niners Nation. As always, joined by Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation, who's particularly obnoxious this week because his Eagles got a win over my 49ers. What's up, Brandon? Oh, I can't wait to get into that stats. Before we do, uh, other things to get into, including a shout out here to Bleeding Green Nation's own Seamus Clancy for listening to the oddcast and using the hashtag odd squad hashtag. Just said hashtag there twice because it's really important. And obviously, you know, you want to use that if you listen to this podcast so you can get in on the conversation and be part of the most important show on the SB Nation NFL feed. But stats, we have a special guest today, don't we? Yeah, see, this week is just a particularly bad week for me. Not only did your Eagles beat my 49ers, not only did I have to host a special emergency pod with RJ Ochoa, who... who, (laughs) Loves to talk trash about this show. But now, now we have to bring in Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride because the Chiefs won last night. So we got to talk about that. This is all around bad for me. Pete, thank you. Yeah, it's a it's a pleasure to be here. I, I've always told my guys on the Monday Football Monday podcast, uh, the oddcast, it, it's a close second. It's my favorite uh, podcast on the SB Nation NFL show. So to just to be on it, uh, it's just such a pleasure. I think we should just forget the whole thing thanks Pete. <laughs> we'll see you later i mean yeah. rj called us the the jets of the sp nation and i felt i mean that's just a low blow come on what is that rj has some nerve at this point talking about any other team trying to say that they are a an example of something that is bad with the way the cowboys have looked so far this year i will not have the slander of the oddcast continue <laughs> especially not on this program so let's focus on the Chiefs. They get the win over the Patriots 26-10. to 10. Uh, Look, I know that the Patriots didn't have Cam and there's excuses, but I think that Kansas City has ascended to that Patriots level of excellence where you have to play perfectly if you're going to beat them. And we saw two instances of Brian Hoyer just completely letting the game situation get away from him. And he cost the Patriots multiple points. I think Kansas City is there, Pete, where if you're not perfect, you're not winning. Yeah, Kansas City had this thing for a long time before Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. It was the Alex Smith era. And they were facing something similar to this in Peyton Manning and the Broncos, who just would dominate them every time. And the Chiefs were good, but they just weren't as good as the Broncos. So I think you nailed it on the head. You got to play perfectly to beat them. It stinks in the sense that I look at this game and you wonder what would have happened if Cam Newton was a quarterback. 
the New England Patriots were significantly, I think, strapped when it came to quarterback play in this game. And it showed toward the end of the third quarter when it was only 6-3 Chiefs. And then Taco Charlton came around the edge and sort of set the momentum back in the Chiefs' favor. But you're right. The Patriots made some mistakes. The Chiefs were bailed out by what was a, a clear wrong call by the referees to blow a play dead. And and uh, Patrick Mahomes was ruled that we were sacked. That could have been a six-point play early in the game. But a couple things went the Chiefs' way. And, and you're right. They're too good of a team right now, I think, as a whole to make any mistakes uh, and win. And that's tough when you're dealing with Brian Hoyer and then having him bench for Jared Stidham. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, the the Chiefs, uh, they get this win. Patrick Mahomes, he finishes the game with uh, 113.6 pass rating, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. But it's like he didn't even play that well. I mean, or at least as well as the numbers showed. Uh, could have had three turnovers, had like two drop picks in there. He had that fumble that you talked about, Pete. So uh, kind of interesting that, you know, he doesn't even turn in his best night. And the Chiefs win kind of easily anyway. Obviously, a big reason for that was uh, the defense coming up with four takeaways. What's your confidence level in this Chiefs defense? It's It's got to be pretty good right now. I, I think they did struggle in the first two weeks of the season when it came to tackling, and Tyron Matthew went on this whole rampage, especially in the media, about how he was sticked off and how he was on this defense that they needed to play better. And they've been a little bit hurt. They had a suspension with their best quarterback from last year, Bashad Breland, who they will get now back for week five against the Las Vegas Raiders. But you feel good about the young guys back there. Juan Thornhill, uh, the safety next to Tyron Matthew, he seems to finally be fully recovered or close to it from his injury, and I think that helps. And the Chiefs are, are managing to get pressure up front, and I thought that was interesting to see last night, especially without Chris Jones, who couldn't go. It was a game-time decision on a groin injury. They were still able to get that pressure up front, and it's leading to better secondary play. As you know, it helps when the front seven is good to help the secondary, and the secondary is covering guys to give uh, the guys in the front seven more time, and it really seems like that's clicking on all cylinders. And if the defense wasn't playing as well as it is, I don't know how this game goes. And and, and I just, like I said, I just go back to that point with with Cam Newton. Who knows if the Patriots win this football game if Cam didn't get COVID and was able to play? I think that's reality. And I think that's fair. I mean, look, there have only been three times with Patrick Mahomes that the Chiefs have not scored a touchdown in the first half. And all three of those times have been against Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. Right. Like this, go, you know, this is fairly obvious, but that guy Belichick knows what he's doing. Um, so I think, yeah, the game clearly could have been different. But I mean, when your head hits the pillow, you have to be so reassured that even if somehow a team slows down Patrick Mahomes in a, a little bit, and even if the offense isn't rolling, and even if the defense isn't playing, you know, lights out, you have guys in Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes whose physical gifts are so good, they can overcome all of that and and usually do. I think the reality with Mahomes right now, and you could tell after the game, he was as, as sour as I have seen him in quite a bit. And I think it has to do with that mentality of that being that gamer and wanting to be the be great. And you, you see other quarterbacks in the league right now. Russell Wilson's playing better. Aaron Rodgers is playing better. Josh Allen is playing better. Not to say that Mahomes is playing bad necessarily, but he considers himself and is very prideful about being within those quarterbacks with being in, in that elite conversation. And so he he didn't play well. He could have had two interceptions in this game. We talked about the Patriots not making mistakes. If they, they pick those balls off, if it is actually ruled a fumble and they run it back, 
Like who knows how this thing goes, but they kept plugging away. Like we saw in those three playoff comebacks last year, you saw some play designed by Andy Reid to get Tyreek Hill open in space. The McCole Hardman end around shovel pass type deal really caught the Patriots off guard. That got the game to 19 to 10 and they went off from there. The stat that was going around Kansas City last night that I, I thought was very, very interesting is this was the fourth season in a row. The Chiefs have gone 4-0. That has never happened in the history of the NFL. So that even dates previous uh, from Patrick Mahomes. And that is Andy Reid. And, and the combination of Mahomes and the way this team is built with the skill position players and having head coach Andy Reid uh, and BLG, I know that he, he got new life from, from you, probably covered him for a long time. Like it, it does seem a little unfair sometimes, but the Chiefs still need to play well, or eventually it's going to catch up to them. Yeah, I also think Brett Veach is kind of underrated in like a national conversation. You know, when we think about the Chiefs, it's always Mahomes, Mahomes, or you know, you throw Andy Reid in there too. But I think you know having that top personnel guy has made a big difference for them, and that was obviously a big pitfall for Andy in Philly, is he got too involved in personnel. And then going to KC, just getting away from that kind of allowed him to just focus on the coaching and uh, and give him a uh, you know new life, uh, a breath of fresh air, uh, so to speak. Um, so I definitely think that's been key as well. Pete, I know it's inconceivable for you to think the Chiefs could ever lose a game, uh, but they only rank ninth in DVOA, the all important DVOA, and you know we're kind of talked about how this. Patriots game could have gone the other way I guess what are the pitfalls for this team because stats and I you know we recorded right after the Monday night football game last week against the Ravens and I think we were both like the Chiefs are like a dynasty here it's like they look invulnerable they look invincible how do you beat them <laughs> uh, what are what are the pitfalls potentially for this team it, it seems like there is some film out there right now as to what to do and what not to do against the Chiefs Ravens learned last week you can't really blitz them and so you need three or four rushers that are good enough to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes while having pretty good coverage. And I, I think Bill Belichick saw the film from both the Chargers game and the Ravens game and implemented that last night. Of course, we haven't been able to see any of the all 22 yet. But so I would like to know exactly what he was taking away. But it seemed like they were taking away Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey with doubling and, and bracketing, making sure that Andy Reid couldn't necessarily get to the Patriots with the, the screen game play and then also rushing three or four, four all night and getting coverage that way. And so, and, and of course, and of course playing the safeties back a little bit. So Mahomes can't go over the top. So there is some kind of film out there um, to stop this offense and you need to curb it enough. And I think you also need to go in and saying, okay, if we can slow down the chiefs offense, usually, and, and last night it is different, but it usually will still be able to score about 28 points. So not only do you have to figure out them defensively and hold them to 28, then you're need, you need your offense to be clicking on all cylinders and somehow put up about 31 points against the Chiefs. I think that's the recipe. So it is a really potent offense that can exploit some of these younger players on the Chiefs defense. That gets tougher with Bashad Breeland coming back. And then following now the Bill Belichick and Chargers game plan that's out there and not doing what Wink Martindale and the Ravens did. Like You bring extra pressure. Mahomes seems so good right now that he is going to dink and dunk you and find the open man right away, get rid of the ball in less than three seconds. But if you're able to maintain pressure without a blitz, cover well, and your offense can keep you in it, looking at the Buffalo Bills, that kind of stands out to me a little bit. That should be a really interesting game, not to overlook the Las Vegas Raiders, but that seems like a recipe to make me say, uh, you know what, I, I think the Chiefs might be able to lose this game. Buccaneers game, too, could be interesting with Brady. That would be a fun matchup. But uh, enough slurping the Chiefs. I've had all I can take. <laughs> Pete Sweeney from Arrowhead Pride, thank you very much for the time. All right, thanks, boys.
All right, Brandon. So that is the Chiefs and the Patriots. I am a little disappointed that we didn't get to see Cam because it would have been a different game. But there was actually two Monday night football games. We had the Packers and the Falcons. Turns out only one NFL team showed up. But of course, that is the Falcons. They get the win. No surprise. They are 4-0 and on the season. They've scored 30-plus points in all four games. That has never happened before in Packers history. And we were talking about great quarterback play, and Aaron Rodgers is right there with Wilson and Mahomes and Allen and anybody else you want to mention. You said the Falcons are, are 4-0 uh, stats. It's, it's definitely not true. They're 0-4, uh, the Packers being the 4-0 team, of course. But, I mean, I know this is inconceivable for you because, you know, you come in here last week, you ripped me in my NFL power rankings. You're like, how are the Packers number three overall? How are they the second best team in the NFC? Are you ready to admit? That the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, who is up to 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions, uh, second best pass rating in the NFL. And by the way, he's only actually thrown six interceptions in his last 35 games overall. Are, are we ready to admit that the Packers are the second best team in the NFC? No. Oh, my because God. They beat wow. the Falcons? How? They beat the Falcons, the biggest paper tiger in the NFL? It's not about the team they beat. It's about Aaron Rodgers being the best player. One of, well, maybe not the best because Patrick Mahomes exists now, but at his height of this game, you know, he was the best player in the NFL, the best player in football in the universe. And now he's back on that level. He's playing great. There's no question about it. He's <laughs> playing great. And Matt LaFleur, by the way, sneaky Matt LaFleur, he's 17 and three in his first 20 games as a head coach. That's incredible. That's better than Kyle Shanahan. That's better than Sean McVay. That's better than Bill Belichick. I mean, he's approaching historic territory there. So congratulations to him. But no, I'm not I'm not willing to say that. I mean, they beat the Falcons. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers is playing great. Here, so here's a question. Who hasn't looked good against the Falcons this year? I mean, who hasn't looked good against the Falcons? Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're bad, but it's not. Yeah, but it's not just about the Falcons. That's it's about. I mean, you said the 49ers. You're you're you had to homer it up, and you said your 49ers were the second best team in the NFC, and yeah. that is most definitely not true now. And we can get into that later. But the point here, to me, since we're still focusing on the Monday Night Football game, is the Packers are very much. A, I mean, they might really. I mean, I would love to see them play the Seahawks because um, I think you know that's a, that's a game. That's a game they could win. And maybe they're actually the best team in the NFC. I'm not going to give that to them now because I'm still, you know, a big Russell Wilson guy over here. But I mean, with Rodgers and, and yeah, I'm not, I wasn't even, I've never really been the biggest LaFleur believer. You know, I think, you know, Rodgers is really the guy who's driving that ship, but I should probably give him credit. You know, you just, that's some impressive numbers you just uh, cited there. But yeah, man, I, I just, I think the Packers are, are the real deal. And I had concerns about them heading into the year. I, I didn't, think this was the same Rodgers anymore I didn't think he had this in him but clearly he does and the encouraging thing if you're a Packers fan no Devontae Adams no Lazard no Mercedes Lewis and zero problem whatsoever because we'll just throw the ball to Robert Tanyan for three times <laughs> who by the way Robert Tanyan is tied for the NFL lead in touchdown catches with Mike Evans Robert Tanyan for God's sakes is there do we have a nickname for for Robert Tanyan yet I feel like we we, we need to oh, come man. up with something there uh, hashtag yeah, no. odd squad if, and, and add us on Twitter if you have a good nickname for Robert Tanya. <laughs> and you, for the other side, for the Atlanta Falcons, what are you doing? What more do you need to see? Dan Quinn ain't the guy, okay? He's 43 and 41. They've blown two 
15-point fourth-quarter leads this year. That's never happened to any other team in NFL history. He's not the guy. What are you holding on to? What do you think is going to happen suddenly that Dan Quinn's going to become a good coach? Like, it's over. It is over. Get rid of this guy. And Dimitrov, too. I mean, he's been there since 2008 now. 12 years. This is a guy who gave up a second-round pick for Hayden Hurst, a 27-year-old tight end with two years left on his rookie deal. Like, this is this is your future. This is the foundation you're building. I mean, I don't think talent has been the biggest issue. I would point to coaching first. But why are you going to trust Thomas Dimitrov to pick a third head coach after Mike Smith didn't work out, after Dan Quinn didn't work out? They need to clean house in Atlanta. And I think stats, like, it would be so symbolic for them to do that in terms of you can talk about how, you know, 28 to three was a few years ago now, several years ago, but it's still there, especially when you're losing these games like they did the past two weeks where they're blowing these big leads like that, that mindset. Imagine just being Dan Quinn. I mean, that's always going to follow him around. So it's time for the Falcons to clean house. And they, by doing that, it'll be like healing. I think for Falcons fans, it's like, we can finally move on from 28 to three. It's a whole new era. Uh, that's what they need to do. Yeah, the the fact that Dimitrov could get to pick three head coaches, when I saw that in your power rankings on BleedingGreenNation.com, like that blew me away. That never happened. That just doesn't happen in the league. Like you don't get all those chances. Eventually the owner says, hey, maybe it's this guy's fault. Um, and it's going to get worse for Atlanta before it gets better. They have two games against the Bucks. They have to play the Saints and they have to play the Chiefs. Like if you keep Quinn there, it just snowballs and just becomes worse and worse and worse. But if you get rid of Quinn, then it changes everything because even if they lose, it's like, okay, well, you know, they're going to have a new head coach. They're, they're in the middle of having to rebuild this thing. Like it totally changes the perspective on the season. If you fire Quinn, as opposed to leaving him there. Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting. I guess what they do with Matt Ryan, right? Because like, you know, a lot of teams like this, where you have to fire the head coach, you have to start over, you know, with the quarterback and everything. But I mean, you know, Matt Ryan isn't bad. Um, and, and they have pieces there in Atlanta. So it's not, all bad it's not like they totally need to wipe the personnel slate clean i think but they they have to start with the head coach and the gm that they just they have to go it's 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 run its course it's time again dan quinn has been here dimitrov has been here um it's and yeah and it's probably a good thing you know that these, these they have tougher games coming up because i don't i mean maybe you know, this this will look outdated. We're recording at 9 a.m. on Tuesday, uh, October 6th. Maybe Dan Quinn will be fired by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, but if not, he should be. I mean, how stunning is it that Dan Quinn was not the first? Dan Quinn or Adam Gase was not the first fired head coach of this season. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was going to be Gase. But instead, it's Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien, who is really just, for me, stats, you know, as someone who watched the Eagles go to heck in a handbasket with Chip Kelly, you know, running the show and personnel in addition to being the head coach and like knowing that that was probably not a good decision to ever make. You you should never have a head coach in the NFL. Now, there are exceptions. You know, there's a Bill Belichick, but that is very much the exception and not the norm. And you could say Pete Carroll, too. Um, but you don't want to have that set up because, you know, when you have a head coach, his job is to win this game this week immediately. He's focused on the short term and the GM has to think about, you know, the long term, the health of the franchise. And you can't have those two things at once a lot and be successful. It's, it's there's conflicting interest there. And that's clearly not worked out for the Texans. No, you're totally right. They're two different jobs. It's They're two really hard jobs. And by the way, you could make the argument that Bill Belichick, the GM, hasn't really been that great. Like, he, their draft record is spotty, just as spotty as anybody else's. He's just so good at using those guys and putting them in good positions that it doesn't look as bad as it is. 
you know, Tony Dungy tells a great story where he gets the head coaching job of the Bucks, and he's in his office and he's trying to, you know, thinking about the game plan. He's trying to come up with stuff and somebody knocks on the door. Uh, coach, which uh, hotel do you want to stay in at the uh, for the preseason game on the road this week? And he's like, I don't know. Why are you asking me? And the guy's like, because that's your job. Like he didn't realize all the extra stuff that goes into just being a head coach as opposed to being like a coordinator or something like that. So you add all that stuff on top of then becoming the GM also and scouting guys and trying to come up with lists of guys to for injury replacements. It's too much work for one human being. You just end up doing both jobs poorly. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a shame because, you know, you have Deshaun Watson there. You're just wasting him. <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? And so it's kind of a, a funny situation, not the exact same thing, but I was talking about how like Falcons don't necessarily need to like make a change at quarterback and get rid of Matt Ryan there. Um, but it's the same thing in Houston. Like Deshaun Watson is already your guy. Now you just have to find the head coach and obviously hire a, a, a new GM as well. Um, and going back to, uh, you know, the future outlook here, I mean, Texans don't have their first this year. They also don't have their second. So that's tough. And Deshaun Watson clearly needs some more help, and you don't have those key assets uh, to get it to him. Uh, I guess before, though, totally closing the door on Bill O'Brien, I I think it's kind of – there's this idea out there that, like, oh, actually he's a good head coach, but he's not a good GM. Because people said that about Chip, too. It's like, no – he was he was also a bad head coach too. I, I saw a stat out there, I believe, from uh, Warren Sharp that like the Texans ran the ball more on first down than any other team in the past couple of years. It's like this is the modern NFL. Like you have to pass now. You don't just run all the time, um, <laughs> and you also don't trade a, an elite wide receiver for a running back in David. Like so, Bill O'Brien deserves what he got. Um, this is another example also of why are you just hiring Patriots assistants all the time? It usually does not work out. It is not the smart thing to do. Uh, Bill O'Brien, um, I, I talked to Eagles guard Brandon Brooks, who I obviously had to fit in the Eagles angle here. Uh, I talked to Brandon Brooks a couple years ago, and he played for the Texans, and he said that Bill O'Brien, like the culture there that they had down in Houston, made him want to retire. Now, Brandon Brooks you know, is a very, very good player. And he was only about like, you know, 24 or whatever when this is happening. And Brandon Brooks has made Pro Bowls, you know, obviously a Super Bowl starting right guard. Like it was so bad, so miserable down there that he wanted to quit football entirely. So, uh, you know, Bill O'Brien, don't let the door hit you on the way out. And by the way, the most expensive team in the league this year, the Houston Texans, $255 million. So Godspeed to anyone walking into that mess because it is a mess right now in Houston. Okay, why don't we do this? We'll take a break, then we'll come back. We'll look at some of the power rankings. We still got to get to our survivor picks and uh, the oddities of week four as well. So we'll do all that coming up after the break. We are back here on the off day debrief and it's time. It is power rankings time, Brandon. I know you're all fired up because there's many things that you want to try and stick it to me about. You will, of course, fail in all of those things, but that's okay. We'll do that. Uh, Let me just read the top 10 just so people know what we're dealing with here. Number one, Kansas City. No shock there. Seattle is at number two. Green Bay is three. Baltimore Ravens, four. Steelers, five. Titans, six. Bills at seven. Rams at eight. Saints at nine. And Patriots at 10. I don't see any super glaring issues. Um, Would you have had the Seahawks at number two if they had lost that game to the Miami Dolphins because uh, they were doing everything they could to try and do that? Uh, No, that'd probably drop them down, put the Packers up at that point, and then the Packers truly would be the best team in the NFC. But enough about the Packers. Um, 
I mean, yeah, pretty disappointing game for Russ. Uh, worst passer rating of the season. Uh, he's only down to like what a hundred and thirty six point seven on the year, and and that's first in the league. I mean, just pathetic. You really got to pick it up. Come on, Russ. Um, can I kill the Dolphins a little bit? Because of course, as a Niner fan, I'm watching all Seahawks games closely because they need to lose as much as possible for me. Like, if you're gonna beat Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, you gotta be smart. I mean, they were playing the the Seahawks tough in this game. They actually got a pick in the end zone that really helped keep the game close. There's eight and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're at the Seattle 11-yard line. It is fourth and five, and you kick a field goal. Like, when are these teams going to learn, Brandon? When are they going to learn? Field goals are failures. If you're trying to beat these teams, especially when you're the underdog, you can't kick field goals you have to go for it there and I get it you might not make it I understand that the field goal does nothing for you they were still down I think two points after making the field goal like what are you doing you might not even get the ball back for all you know you have no idea why do teams continue to do this yeah we saw this in the uh the Raiders Bills game too Michael Kist on the Monday football Monday podcast which some say are like the Houston Texans of the SB Nation NFL show feed uh, because someone's going to get fired soon, maybe. Uh, no, just kidding. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an issue. I mean, and, you know, Gruden, you know, settles for the field goal. And sure enough, they lose. It, it's just, it's cowardice. And you just hate to see head coaches being cowardly and not being aggressive as they should be. Don't use stats. Isn't that something you hate? Yes, it is. In fact, I think that... There are very few instances where you should ever kick a field goal. Don't be a coward. Man up. What about punting for a tie? How do you feel about that? Well, there's being aggressive and there's being stupid. You don't want to be stupid and give yourself a loss when you could have a tie. And by the way, the Eagles are now in first place in the division. So don't even try to sneak. Don't even try to wedge that in. We're not even talking about the Eagles. And you're trying to wedge it in because somehow you think that you're vindicated now, even though it proves my argument that the Eagles are in first place. It's a false dichotomy, Stats. It was not a choice between tie or lose. That was not, those were not the option. It was very still likely they would have ended up with a tie. Like, like more likely than not, they still would have ended up with a tie if they had not punted in overtime. But, Stats, I don't want to relitigate this whole thing because I have already been proven right about this. And it wasn't just because Doug Peterson said he regretted his decision to punt for a tie. We talked about that on last week's show. Doug Peterson's actions confirm I was right stats. And do you know why? You should because you watched the Eagles 49ers game. And what did Doug Peterson do after the Eagles scored their first touchdown? What did he do? Oh, he went for two and it was awesome, hmm. by the way. That changed why the whole did he rest go of the for game. Two? Why did he go for two? Why do you think that was? This is my biggest critique of punting for the tie. I said it sent the wrong messaging to the team this is a eagles team that's struggling they are lacking an identity they need a spark you can't play scared you have to be aggressive and and invigorate these players and do something to give the team an edge as a head coach and that's exactly what he did by going for two and therefore i think that decision to go for two was a total admission that he was wrong to punt for the tie in overtime this was him saying I need to fix this. I need to be aggressive. And therefore, I was right all along. 
No, that's complete, complete garbage. He made the right decision at the time in both instances. He punted the ball to give his team the best chance not to lose. And you you could say that they might have still tied anyway, but punting was the least risky thing that they could have done. And they did it, and they're tied, they tied, and now they're in first place in a, in a terrible division. But we'll get to the Eagles later because I, I want to try and focus on the actual good teams in the league. Uh, so we had the Seattle there there. They look fantastic. They're rolling. Their defense still is not anything close to good, but you said it two weeks ago. I think that it just doesn't matter because Russ is just that good. And I assume you're sticking by that. Absolutely. I mean, again, best pass rating in the NFL, um, uh, good stat that again was brought up on Monday Football Monday, a podcast I'm referencing way too much here. Like the Seahawks are something like 58 or 59 no, or like something like that when they have a at least a four point lead heading into the half. I mean, yeah, they're just they're a juggernaut. They're they're the best team in the NFC. He just loves trying to sneak that in. Okay, uh, number four, Baltimore Ravens. the The most interesting thing I found about this game is. They're winning so badly against Washington. They put RG3 back on the field. And what is the first thing RG3 does when he gets back on the field in Washington? Takes a huge hit on a play where he didn't need to take a big hit and throws an interception. It was vintage RG3. I love the move, though. It's so, like, disrespectful. It's like, hey, we're beating (laughs) you so badly. We're going to put out, you know, that guy you traded up for, number two overall, like 10 years ago. I love it. I love disrespectful moves by head coaches. It's fantastic. And, uh, you know, everyone was a little worried about the Ravens after they lost to the Chiefs. And, you know, I I said this about the Browns when they got destroyed by the Ravens. There are certain teams that make you look bad. The Chiefs are one of those teams. Like, they are so good, they make you look bad. And they made the Ravens look much worse than they actually are. And we saw the good Ravens again this week. Yeah, that Chiefs, the the Ravens lost to the Chiefs, I don't think wasn't, that wasn't like a big indictment on the Ravens, I think, as much as it was a, you know, a big uh, positive for the Chiefs. Tennessee and Pittsburgh. I was really bummed that we didn't get to see that game because it was a sneaky good quarterback matchup, sneaky good head coach matchup. But I have no problem with them being five and six in your power rankings. We'll find out more about them. Buffalo Bills at seven. I mean, Josh Allen, he's still rolling. Now 12 passing touchdowns and one interception. He's good on the ground. He's got three rushing scores. I mean, the Bills are legitimate. I am buying into Buffalo. Yeah, how could you not? I mean, Josh Allen, third best passer rating in the NFL. Um, the Bills are almost giving me uh, some of those 2017 Eagles vibes. Like, I feel like this is almost Josh Allen's, like Carson Wentz, his 2017 year. I mean, obviously Wentz was in the MVP conversation that season, and I think Allen's there right now. Um, so, and obviously that was Wentz's second year. This is Allen's third year. So it's like a similar trajectory there. Yeah, the Bills are legit. I mean, it's good coaching. It's a quarterback playing great out of his mind. Again, it's not just the passing, but also what he can do on the ground. The three rushing t- touchdowns, like you mentioned, won this week. Um, yeah, they're they're a force, and I was tempted to put them above the the um, you know the Steelers and the Titans, but they just you know the bye they didn't play, so it's kind of a weird dynamic there. Yeah, you could. I think that argument you could definitely make, but I also think we're going to find out more about the Bills in the in the weeks to come because they played the Jets and the Dolphins and the Raiders, like. Okay, and they've looked really good, but they're going to play the Titans and the Chiefs coming up, and then the Patriots also a couple weeks after that. So I think we're really going to find out more about Buffalo in the next month than we know right now. For sure. Do you think that we'll feel the same way about the Bills in a month that we do right now? Um, that's a good question. I, I really think those games are going to be key. 
Um, it's I don't want to say like they they haven't beaten anyone because that's just not fair to them. Um, they're beating these teams convincingly, I think, um, not just in terms of the final score, but just like how they're it's sustainable. It's not like they're just like, you know, barely winning these games. It's not like where it was last year at times or like the defense is keeping them in it. Uh, in these low scoring games and Josh Allen's like doing enough to win. It's like Josh Allen's rolling. Like you're going to have a chance every week if you can do that. It's it's more sustainable, I guess, than they were winning games last year. And the thing I hope we don't do, because I feel like we do this all the time as fans and media is let's say Josh Allen has a bad game next game or a bad game against the Chiefs. We're going to say, see, see, look, he's he I knew it. He's not really that good like one game that confirms maybe something we thought going into this season somehow overrides all the other really good games he's had this season. I hope we don't do that because that's not fair to him. He's going to have some down games this year. So let's not just jump back to so be so eager to say that we were right if he does happen to have a down game. Yeah, that's, I mean, you can do that with anything in the NFL if you really want. That's the beauty of talking about the NFL is you can kind of just pick and choose. It's all very small sample size. There are only 16 games. It's not like, you know, baseball or hockey or basketball or anything. So you can kind of just pick when you want to be right and make yourself look good that way. And how good does that Stefan Diggs trade look? I mean, my God. First of all, the guy is like uncoverable in man-to-man coverage. He's open all the time. Yeah, I mean, that was that was big. And, you know, for a team like the Eagles stats to always bring it back to the Eagles. Like I do uh, like they just needed help at receiver this off season. And so applying this to more generally to, to other teams, like these teams that are actually going out and doing the work to like maximize the quarterback and making sure he's in a good situation. Hey, who would have thought they're having success. It's a good idea to give your quarterback help instead of giving him like nothing to work with. So yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, that they were able to get him was great. Although, you know, Vikings, obviously, you know, they're uh, they're not they're one and three, so they're not great. But they they did seem to happen to find a wide receiver who's playing pretty well uh, in the draft w- with Diggs out there. And Justin Jefferson is that the who you're speaking of? And Justin Jefferson, who is literally the number one rated wide receiver by Pro Football Focus through four weeks now. This wide receiver class, I mean, how we thought it was going to be good. How good is it looking? CeeDee Lamb looks awesome in Dallas. Ruggs has been limited in, in Vegas, but I think he's looked pretty good. Jerry Judy got hurt in Denver, but I think he looks really good. Brandon Ayuk looks fantastic for the Niners. I don't know if you saw that hurdle he had on Sunday <laughs> Night Football. I'm sure you did. That was a thing of beauty. Like, this receiver class was advertised as one of the best we've seen in recent memory, and they're living up to it right now, big time. Yeah, Judy had that really nice catch on Thursday night uh, against against the Jets there. Yeah, it's, it's legit now. Um, uh, of course, the Eagles drafted a wide receiver in the first round. So you, you mentioned this. I had to bring up the Eagles once again. And Jalen Rager hasn't been able to play yet. So it's kind of been frustrating to see all these other receivers having success. And uh, yeah, C.D. Lamb, though, uh, to kind of to, to bring it on to Dallas here because I want to talk about them. Um, that offense, obviously, can score. But uh, the defense stats kind of has some issues. Cowboys allowing the most points in the league, 36.5 per game. And really, it's not even just like one issue. It is a failure from a scheme standpoint. I don't know why you hire Mike Nolan. Like, it's 2020. Like, what are you doing hiring him? And also, the talent, clearly, uh, you know, they lost Robert Quinn. They lost Byron Jones. They lost even like some other lesser guys like a Jeff Heath. 
Um, the defensive line uh, losses there. So, you know, like Malik Collins. Um, so they've lost talent. And effort was a big issue too. I mean, they get back into that game against the Browns. And Odo Beckham Jr., you know, they, they run him on that reverse. And you just watch like Jalen Smith on that play. And he's just watching him. Like he, he's and he's not the closest player to him, but he's just kind of like just jogging, watching him. And then he starts sprinting once it's too late. Like so complete breakdown there from every level, talent, scheme, uh, effort, just very bad. The Dallas Cowboys are charmony soft. They are so soft on defense. It is absolutely pathetic. And I know their offense puts up numbers, but that doesn't impress me. Offense is cheap. Offense has never been cheaper in NFL history, and they can't stop anybody on defense. And can I just say, all this talk about Mike McCarthy and how he went to school on analytics and he's a different... No, 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 no. He's the same guy he's always been. Nobody loses more games with elite quarterback play than Mike McCarthy. It's incredible. That's like his thing. He gets great quarterbacks and he still doesn't win as much as he should. The Cowboys are absolutely pathetic. And I believe somebody on this show picked the Browns to win the game outright last week, even though you tried to shut me down in the survivor picks. Uh, it's a good call stats. It's definitely uh, a good job by you. I, I to your McCarthy point though. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that was a big reason why I wasn't really scared of him coming into the NFC East this year. I mean, he flamed <laughs> out with the Packers for a reason. It wasn't because like Aaron Rodgers was to blame. It was because Mike McCarthy was to blame. And it's funny because, you know, heading into the year, I was talking about how, like, you know, Dallas fans are just acting like Jason Garrett is the only problem with this team. Like, that that was their mind. It was like, once we just get rid of Jason Garrett, it doesn't even matter who's in the head coach because that guy <laughs> will be better and all the Cowboys problems will be fixed. Well, guess what? They're not because coaching is still very much a big issue in Dallas. Uh, they have a new one, but it, it's not the answer. And, yeah, it's a shame because Dax, you know, having a great year now. Uh, you know, some of those stats he's had are kind of like some garbage time stats here compiling. And obviously they're only like, you know, they don't recover that onside kick. They're, they're 0 four here. Um, but Dak also had some bad throws in that Browns game too. I mean, he could have had like three interceptions that were dropped at least three or four that I counted. Um, so I don't want to say he's to blame. He's clearly not the biggest culprit there, but like, he's not playing perfect as well. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's an issue in Dallas, uh, and it starts with the defense. I mean, they why do we think that they're a good team if they don't have if they're one Atlanta Falcons meltdown away from being winless yeah I mean I, I think the offense is gonna you know like I, I still think it's worthwhile like it's that's gonna bear fruit against some of these bad teams that they play like they have the Giants up this week like they're gonna beat the Giants because the Giants are terrible and the offense will come alive and the defense will probably you know uh, hunker down a little bit I I guess too like for as bad as the defense has been it's going to be hard for them to continue to be this bad. Uh, you know, they, they haven't been able to force the turnovers. I think those will come at some point, you know, just a matter of luck and regression and whatnot. Um, so, you know, I think they're going to figure it out. I still think they're the favorites to win the NFC East, which is saying absolutely nothing because the East could be one with like probably maybe like a six and 10 record for them. Um, so, yeah, it, it's not pretty, but I, I think they're going to be better than this. And can I just give the Browns a little bit of love? Um, yes. Two things that jumped out to me. Number one, Kevin Stefanski now has three wins in four games. Hugh Jackson had three wins in three years for the Cleveland Browns. So congratulations, Kevin Stefanski. And Odell Beckham Jr., newsflash, he's still really good. 
like really good. All these people that are, say like, oh, it's been a long time since Odell was an elite player. No, no, no. He's always been an elite player. And the fact that he disappeared is such an indictment of Freddie Kitchens and that coaching staff that it, Odell is incredible and amazing. And anybody that says he's not is absolutely crazy. I think it's interesting going back to the, you know, this, their opponent, the Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys, we talked about it stats like earlier before how in the year about how like their model is like run, run, run the ball. And then that opens things up for the passing game. Well, that's kind of what the Browns are doing now. Like they lead the NFL in rushing percentage. I think they're they're making life easy on Baker Mayfield by not asking him to carry the offense. And it's not just about Nick Chubb, who's hurt now, by the way. It's about Kareem Hunt, uh, Dernis Johnson. Like it doesn't matter who they put in there at running back. It seems like the offensive line is opening holes for these guys and they're taking advantage. And they lead the NFL in rushing yards per attempt, like 5.9. It's extremely efficient. Again, it's making life easy on Baker. And that also is making life easy on Odo Beckham Jr. You know, it, it's it's just an efficient passing game right now compared with that elite running game. The Browns are good. I think we can say that now with confidence. I don't know how good. I don't I don't know, you know, that they're, you know, they're definitely not elite yet. And obviously the defense has had some issues here, but they've rebounded nicely from that that Ravens blow in week one. And, you know, with the NFL expanding to seven uh, seeds in the playoffs, I mean, it's looking possible that the Browns could make the postseason for the first time since 2002. Yeah, I would be surprised if they don't, by the way. And they ran for 300 yards in this game, 307, I think. That's ridiculous. That is incredible. I mean, Odell Beckham had more rushing yards than Ezekiel Elliott. Well, you know, I, I said it going into the game. The Browns know who they are. They have their identity. The Cowboys still don't have their identity. Are they a passing team? Are they a running team? They don't know. I think Cleveland has figured it out. And it's it's nice to see personally because like doing this job, I root for interesting. And to me, Odell Beckham Jr. and Baker Mayfield are like two of the most interesting players in the entire league. So I want them to continue to be relevant. Uh, you know, we're talking about team stats here. I, cause I think the Browns are, you know, probably competing for a wild card spot in the AFC, not quite the, the AFC North lead, although we'll see. Um, the Colts, I wanted to bring them, them up this week. Kind of like a team that's being slept on, I feel like, in the national conversation. This is the number one defense in the NFL right now. The Colts are allowing 14 points per game. And in an NFL now, that's all about, you know, passing and points and literally on like a historic pace in terms of those categories. The Colts are playing defense well. They're the number one overall team in DVOA, not just defense, team, period. And, you know, I, I don't think the offense has been amazing or anything, but Frank Reich's a good head coach. But I also want to give credit to Matt Eberfluss, uh, the defensive coordinator there. And Phillip Rivers is doing enough, especially with that defense. I mean, you give them that to work with, and they can they can win games, and they have. They're, they're what? They're 3-1 and one now. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think the Colts are kind of being slept on a little bit. I feel like I should probably have them higher in my rankings. The crazy thing to me about the Colts is, like, that's not really Frank Reich's staff. That's Josh McDaniel's staff. Remember McDaniels was going there, and he brought in he brought in Eberflus. Like, you just mentioned him. That wasn't a Frank Reich pick. That was a McDaniels pick, and then he bailed on them, and they bring in Frank Reich. So it's sort of crazy the way that they kind of jigsawed this thing together in Indianapolis, but you're right. I mean, they're getting it done. And I seem to recall certain hosts from a certain show who asked the question at the beginning of the year, what is the ceiling for the Indianapolis coach? You were Colts. You were very down on Phillip rivers. So I'm going to ask you again, what is the ceiling for the Colts? Well, I still think offense wins in the NFL. 
and ultimately uh don't don't just don't ask the cowboys about that and uh so i still have concerns about because yeah cause rivers isn't like lighting it up here and i think that eventually could be a problem i mean this is a colts team that lost to the jags in week one that's not looking like the best uh result there now obviously time has passed since then um so I don't know. I don't even know if they win the AFC South still because I still like the Titans more than them. But they're in the mix for that. And if not, they're you know they're in the mix for probably like a you know fifth, sixth, seventh seed in the AFC. So I like them as a playoff team, you know. But there's you know they still have a little bit to go before they're in that tier, you know, with the Chiefs who are you know arguably on their own tier. But even then, like the the Ravens, the Steelers, the Titans, the Bills, still below that. Did you see the Philip Rivers trash talk video? <laughs> He's I did. He is... is it Roquan Smith? And he's saying, Hey, Jonathan Taylor turned the corner on you. He is something else, man. Like it, it's just so like, this isn't new. Like we all know this about Philip Rivers, but every time you see it, it's just like, it's just so funny because you know, it's the no cursing th- thing too. So he's like, dad gum. And it, it's yeah. just, it's so obnoxious. And he's such like, a, he's such a psycho, but it's fun to watch. It, it It's great. It is obnoxious and awesome. That is like Philip Rivers in a nutshell. And that's kind of how he plays, too. His throwing motion is horrible, but somehow he's like seventh all-time in touchdown passes or something like that. It's, it's fantastic. Now, a great, great test of that Indianapolis defense is coming up because they play the Browns next week, which is going to be a freaking fantastic game to see. I will be interested to see if the Colts' defense can can maintain what they've been doing because, like you said, they've sort of been rolling here. Um, but that's like a sneaky good game for week five. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, definitely want to see that defense tested. I, you know, because I think it's legit. They they do have talent there. You know, they add DeForest Buckner from your 49ers. Um, it, it's like Darius Leonard. I love him. He's been awesome since he was a rookie. Like he's he's come in and he's been great from the jump. So I definitely think it's it's like a legit unit. Uh, I want to talk a little bit though stats about the Bears, the other side of this Colts game, because. Chicago is tasting the other side of the Nick Foles experience. I mean, you see the magic. He comes in against the Falcons, leads them to the comeback. That's great. Again, I don't even think he played quite as well. The stats look, there were a couple of like almost interceptions in there. Um, But then you saw that this week, you know, he comes in now, granted, we're talking about how great this Colts defense is. It wasn't like the easiest go for Foles, but uh, also this is part of who Nick Foles is though. Like there's an accurate throws. He's not going to be hot all the time. So, you know, all these Eagles fans who like think, you know, Nick Foles is the answer and they should have kept him. And like this idea of him as a starter is like better in your head than it is in reality, because he's not always going to be at the very high of his highs. He's also going to have very low lows. And we saw that against the Colts here. And now it's funny because the bears are three and one, but like, do you really feel good about that three and one? No, you don't feel good about that 3-1. Look, there are some people that you date for a little while, and then you break up, and then that's it. You go your separate ways, and the story is over. You don't marry certain people. Sometimes you just date, you have a relationship, you have some fun, and that's it. And that's Foles and the Eagles. Like, it was great while it lasted. You had some really good times. Obviously, you won the Super Bowl. But you know that it's just not going to work out long term. And the Eagles were smart and they did the smart thing and got rid of Foles. There's nothing wrong with saying that about Nick Foles, by the way. That could just be the reality of what it is. In short spurts, he's great, but he's not the guy you marry. Speaking of the Eagles stats, should we get into them? Because I don't think we've talked about them yet fully. How do you mean we haven't talked about them? Every other sentence out of your mouth is an Eagles sentence. 
I don't think we've mentioned them at all, at all, at once. Not even one time on this podcast. Uh, stats, the Eagles are first in the NFC East. It's pathetic. They would be like <laughs> third in, in pretty much every other division right now, except for I think like two, they would be fourth in, and then one, they would be fifth in. That would be your NFC West, uh, you know, if you're, you're assuming the, all these divisions had five teams. So it's pathetic. Uh, they didn't even look that great. I mean, Carson Wentz had his least worst game of the season. Okay, great. He didn't look good. Um, he did enough. He's he's helping the Eagles win with his legs, which is nice to see, kind of compensating for struggling with his arm. You know, you'll take it. Uh, the defensive line did look legitimately great against the 49ers, which is kind of a little bit surprising to me because you have someone like Trent Williams, who I've been hearing great things about this year. He's pro football focuses, like third best pass blocking tackle heading into week four. And Derek Barnett, who's kind of been average and that might be generous you know to this point in his career just like owned him and then that whole defensive line just owned that 49ers offensive line um so i definitely think that's concerning from san francisco's perspective going forward how that line is going to hold up they're obviously injured but i mean that line seems like a big issue yeah but on the Eagles side um i'm so reluctant to say like they're back or anything uh they still have a lot of issues a lot of issues and including carson wentz but uh but it was it was a good win for them um, they didn't quit. Doug Peterson's teams are at their best when their back is against the wall. He gets their, their, his guys to rally. That's what he did here again. Um, it's just a vintage performance. It was like it, it reminded me of how the last season ended, where the Eagles are calling up these guys from the practice squad, uh, and somehow they're winning in spite of that. To me, this game was just a masterclass by both head coaches. Honestly, I thought that the only reason that this game was that either team was in the game was because of the head coaching. The Eagles are just, I said it before, Doug Peterson doesn't get enough credit for being a great head coach. Their game plan was exactly the perfect way to attack the 49ers. They used Wentz's legs. They didn't, you know, they got him on the move. They made him mobile. And they absolutely destroyed the 49ers offensive line. You mentioned Trent Williams. That was the worst game I've ever seen him play. He looked like a fat lump of crap out there. And he's like <laughs> the best left tackle in the league. He was hideous. Mike McGlinchey. I mean, it was embarrassing, embarrassing on the right side as the right tackle. The last drive of the game when the 49ers are going down, the last three plays fail because Mike McGlinchey absolutely gets blown up. Three straight power rushes and McGlinchey's backpedaling like, a, I don't even know, like he had wheels instead of feet. It was ridiculous. And if the Eagles can do that, then they're going to be able to, to be in any game because they just wrecked the 49ers offense. Do you know who Jannard Avery is, Stats? No. Yeah, he, exactly. He was owning Michael McGlinchey at points. This is a guy who, like, the Eagles traded a 2021 fourth-round pick for last year and has done, like, nothing. Like, I I've been furious that he even made the team because he was terrible in training camp. He was getting, like, dominated by undrafted rookie-creating guards in practice. Has a huge game against the 49ers. Five hits. And really, when you look at this defensive line as a whole – for the Eagles, they have 13 sacks and 33 quarterback hits in their last two games. So that's definitely coming on for them. They are punishing opposing quarterbacks. Um, so that's been really big. I definitely want to agree with you on coaching. I think Doug Peterson has kind of been taking too much heat so far this season. He hasn't been amazing. I'm not going to say like, you know, he's uh, blameless here, but like to suggest the issue with the Eagles is him is just, no, that is not where you start uh, when you look at Philly's struggles. And uh, another note on coaching, Jim Schwartz here now in seven meetings against uh, Kyle Shanahan since 2009 has held Shanahan's offenses to 16.1 points per game. And Schwartz has been on the winning side 
out of six of those seven games. So uh, I think he deserves some credit too. You know, I think he's, he's one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL. Eagles fans give him a lot of grief. I don't think he's perfect. Uh, things almost got ugly or bad in the end of the game there when CJ Beathard comes in and Schwartz kind of changes things up for no good reason. The 49ers make it a little <laughs> more too close for comfort. But with all that said, uh, you know, Schwartz did a really bad job, I think, in week two against the Rams, but the defense has bounced back against then. And I think that's I think that's relevant. You know, for all this talk that Kyle Shanahan gets and all the credit he gets, deservedly so, as one of the game's best offensive coordinators or, or play callers, schemers, whatever you want to call it, uh, Schwartz has had his number. Yeah, okay. Let's see how many times those how many of those games were with the starting quarterback. I mean, congratulations. You made Nick Mullins and CJ I mean CJ Beathard didn't look bad actually. You made Nick Mullins look bad. I mean, let's slow down with the with the Jim Schwartz owns Kyle Shanahan. Let's I want to see how many of those games are with the starting quarterback because Nick Mullins was hideously bad in this game. Like not just didn't have his best game, like cost the team at least 6 points. Probably no, I shouldn't say that. More than 6 maybe 12 points in this game. He was awful. The interceptions that he threw were awful. I have never seen Jimmy Garoppolo throw interceptions that bad, and Garoppolo has some terrible picks. I mean, Mullins, that throw on the pick six that he, where he throws it to the linebacker when the Niners are trying to come back, he said after the game, I saw the linebacker there. Well, Nick, that makes it worse, not better. That makes it worse that you saw him and you still threw it? And the fact that Kyle benched him immediately after that was a huge middle finger from Kyle Shanahan to Nick Mullins, by the way. And it was well, well deserved. Yeah. Uh, Shanahan just didn't look like he trusted Nick Mullins. You mentioned it to me at one point during the game we were talking. And it's like uh, they had that drive where they, they didn't really pass the ball. It was just like reverse to Debo, uh, Ayuk. On the, you know, it was just like they, they did not trust uh, Nick Mullins at all. And yeah, on that play, you said the guy at linebacker or or the linebacker. And rightfully so, because that's Alex Singleton, who was like in the CFL and was on the practice <laughs> squad before. This is not a household name here. And even after the game, Alex Singleton was asked, like, so what did you see on that, that play at the interception? And he was just like, he just threw it right at me. <laughs> that's, what, that's what happened. It was terrible. It was a terrible pick. Uh, I watched that replay. I was like, all right, did he look like somewhere else on the play? Like, did he look right? And he did he not like and he got scared? No, he was staring left the whole time. As I'm imitating it here, you can't see on the podcast. Um, the stats can see me. And he just throws it right at him. So, yeah, Mullins is terrible. They have to go with Beathard if Jimmy D can't play, right? I mean, Nick Mullins should never throw another pass for the San Francisco 49ers. And all this talk about, oh, is there a quarterback controversy? Give me a break. <laughs> the 49ers are 20-6 and six when Jimmy Garoppolo starts. And I think they're like 5-21 and 21 or something when not Jimmy Garoppolo starts. Like, I know that wins are, are a team stat. I get that. But that doesn't happen by accident, okay? Like, stop it with this trying to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo for these other quarterbacks. Just no. No, 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 no. We're done with that. You're going to give me a coronary by continuing to talk about this game. So let's move on because I want to get to our survivor picks. Last week, I tried to pick the Browns over the Cowboys. You wouldn't let me, which I take issue with that. And by the way, I'm getting killed for that. I'm hosting the emergency podcast to talk about COVID-19 and all the issues that the NFL is having with RJ Ochoa. And he sneaks in during that. Oh, I agree with BLG, by the way. You can't pick the same team in Survivor Picks. What are you doing? <laughs> He's right. Although you- I, will get, I will say, in fairness to you, Stats, uh, you know, it was tough. A tough break for you this week. I mean, you picked the Patriots. I don't think that was such a crazy pick in hindsight, just, you know, based on how uh, you know, that game was close when we talked about at the top of the show with Pete. Um, and obviously, if they've can, maybe they win that game. So that was that was a tough break for you. I acknowledge that. 
uh, it was a gutsy pick. I think you deserve a lot of credit for going on, on a limb like that. So uh, I just wanted to give you you props for that, despite uh, yeah, you trying to incorrectly try to pick the same team twice because you can't do that. No, well, here's the thing. See, this is why this is with the disconnect. So you say that you can't pick the rules, you can't pick the same team twice because it's not the rules of the survivor. Well, we both got eliminated week one, so we shouldn't even be doing this. So I look at it as <laughs> we're picking for the odd squad. We're picking for the fans. We're giving you one pick that they could make in their survivor pools that will keep them alive. So that's why I picked the Browns again. Hmm. Disagree. Can't do it. We are the audience both- has ruled in. They have? I don't, I don't think anyone has been on your side about this. I don't think I've seen a single person agree with you about this. I think everyone... Look, genius is often misunderstood in its own time. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> we are both two and two on the year. You had the 49ers over the Eagles, by the way, so... It was a reverse jinx. It worked. I, I you know, I jinxed them. Do you have your survivor pick for this week? I do. Um, so I'm looking at the schedule here, and it's, it's not exactly me going out on a limb... Uh, but again, I, I try to take a team that we haven't talked about because it's kind of a little bit more fun that way. Not don't always not married to that. Um, but I want to take the Carolina Panthers against wow. these Atlanta Falcons who are bad because I think the Panthers. I'm not a big Teddy Bridgewater guy, so maybe I'm going to regret this. I was thinking about the Cardinals over the Jets here, although Kyler Murray's kind of struggling with his arm. Average like 4.3 yards per attempt this week, 133 passing yards. Like, what NFL are we in? Um, anyway, though, back to the Panthers. Uh, I'm a big believer in Matt Rule. I really like him, and things could have gone bad for this Panthers team. They were 0-2. They lose Christian McCaffrey. It's like, you know, that could be the season. But Matt Rule gets this team to rally. Um I really like that Robbie Anderson signing. He's sixth in the NFL in receiving yards. I think that was a great pickup by them. Again, not the biggest Bridgewater guy, but you know, you can he can manage a game for you. You can get by with him. And with this Falcons team, you know, kind of being in the dumps and and like they are, uh, I'm going to take the Panthers to win. They're my pick. I like that pick. I think that Matt Rule and the Panthers organization have one of the best setups of any organization in the league. I think they get it. I think they understand how to win and how to build a successful team. I don't love them this year because look, Teddy Bridgewater ain't the guy. He's not bad. He's just not the guy. And it's going to take time for them to get things rolling. But I like the setup there and they have not been bad. The Falcons are terrible. They're they're worried now about their head coach possibly getting fired. Everything is is trending in Carolina's direction. I like that pick by you. I wanted to rip you, but it's a smart move. <laughs> You're not going to like this pick because I'm going Steelers over Eagles. I know that the Eagles won the game against the 49ers backups, barely. They are not facing the Steelers backups this week. And the Steelers defense is incredible. They get after the quarterback. I think they're going to maul Carson Wentz this entire game. I mean, the Eagles, they're down so many players. Ben Roethlisberger has looked good. I think that offense is legit in Pittsburgh. I know the Eagles won, but I think that they are going to. The sports radio in Philly, the mood is not about to improve because I I think the Steelers are going to absolutely just smash the Eagles. I don't disagree. I mean, I I said earlier, I still think the Eagles have a lot of issues. Carson Wentz has to play a lot better than he did moving forward. It was such a low bar for people to be like, oh, he was better this week. Well, yeah, he was, but he had like, he's coming from being, he still has the worst pass rating in the NFL. Uh, I've been high on the Steelers pretty much going into the year. Uh, they're coming off a bye now. Like that's an extra advantage in their favor. This Eagles offensive line, I think, has done a good job with the kind of spare parts that they have. They're missing a lot of players up front. I um, mean, you have a f- freaking former uh, rugby 
league football player starting at left tackle for the Eagles and Jordan Mailata. He had never even played in a single game of football at any level until like a couple years ago. Um, <laughs> so, it's, it's, you know, and he, and he I think he did a good job for, for those standards. But yeah, this the point being this Eagles offensive line has issues, stats. There's an article on our uh, SB Nation Steelers site behind the steel curtain that is about, and I'm not kidding here, like, Steel, it's the headline something to the effect of Steelers could break NFL sack record uh, for sacks in a game against the Eagles this week. They're, so they're feeling good about that defensive line going up the Eagles defensive line. And I can't really blame them. I mean, I don't know if it'll be that bad, but it could get ugly. And yeah, I, I like the Steelers here as well. I, I can't rip you for that pick either. We got to get over 500 here with our record for the survivor pick. <laughs> and before we go, we always like to do the oddities. Um, we talked a little bit about Browns Cowboys. The Browns got a two point conversion after the extra point was blocked last week, which is just the most Browns and Cowboys play of all time. That was great. Uh, I was watching that live and I'm like, all right. Oh, wow. You know, OK, so maybe it, it's not all over because, you know, let's think about it. If the if the Cowboys successfully block that and return that, that's still like a one possession game at that point. Um, instead of like the, the rounds going back up the two possessions with that uh, that Odell Beckham Jr. touchdown. So, uh, but yeah, naturally, uh, things did not go well for the Cowboys, and I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, that's that's just so funny. <laughs> a, a blocked PAT attempt that turns into two points. That's something I've never seen. When will the Cowboys learn? When you block a field goal, don't touch it. I remember I was when I was at ESPN once, they were talking about this because I was on Mike and Mike and Golick played in that game. And they were talking about the blocked field goal that Leon Lett touched and it led to the whole thing. And Michael Irvin happened to be walking in the studio because it was a giant studio. He was walking on the other side of the room as we're having this discussion. Of course, Irvin played for the Cowboys. So as we're having that discussion and Golick's talking about the kick, Irvin just yells out, let it lay, Leon. <laughs> Which is like just like he's still not over it and don't touch the ball if you're the cowboys after a kick is blocked okay more oddities the giants kevin zeitler he's the guard for the giants he false started when the giants were trying to run a fake play at the end of the first quarter they were never intending to snap the ball and he false started i hate the fake lineup that never worked it never works it's zero percent success rate of oh we're gonna line up and make you think we're gonna snap the like it never works just don't move. And and then, so for that to happen, for them to be on the bad side of it, at that point, it's just a negative percent play. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Giants are a mess. Yeah, the other team can see the clock, right? They, they understand, <laughs> oh, there's five seconds left and you're just getting to the line of scrimmage. I wonder if you're going to call the play. And uh, the last one I saw, BLG, Derek Carr threw a pass for the Raiders and was apologizing to the sideline before it even landed. Basically, I think that's what happens when Gruden's your head coach. He's trying to avoid the just evisceration from John Gruden. So he's literally got his hand up like, my bad, my bad, before the play is even over. I love that. You know, as someone who used to play basketball, I think it's it's funny like when you're playing pickup and someone's like that and you shoot a shot immediately and you're like, short. You know, <laughs> you just know it's like a terrible shot. You're just like, oh, man. So it's kind of funny how that to see that happen in football, too. So that's going to do it for us this week. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. You get this show and some of the other ones that are not as good. Uh, but I now please leave comments. If they're good, they're, that's great. But if they're not, like we want to know how we can be better. We love hearing from you. So please rate, review, and subscribe and uh, become part of the Odd Squad. Absolutely. Fun episode stats and, and tweet at us at 
Brandon Gowton for me, at uh, Stats on Fire for Rob. Uh, use the hashtag Odd Squad and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Use the hashtag Odd Squad or, or leave a review on the SB Nation NFL show on iTunes or wherever. And we'll also read, uh, give you a shout out for that as well. So we're all about the community here. We want you to be part of this. So absolutely, definitely uh, continue to be part of this and, and use the hashtag. And we'll have fun talking to you once again next week. 